Hey, good morning. Oh, I know Halloween was so two days ago, right? But, uh, but there's a monster movie that actually came to mind when I was thinking about this message. Um, first, all the disclaimers. I'm not recommending this movie. I haven't seen this movie, blah, blah, blah. Disclaimer, blah, 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 right? Um, the premise, though, of this movie is clever. Here it is. Uh, there's a group of vampires, and they have to get around the whole sunlight thing, right? So to get around the whole sunlight thing, they go to the northernmost city in uh, Alaska where for three months there's no, no sunlight. That's their, that's their plan. That's their, their, their deal. And so in the absence of light, these vampires have 30 days of darkness to terrify the residents of this northernmost town in the United States. And even as our own days grow shorter, here's the tie-in with the message, even as our own days grow shorter, there's those that believe that there's a darkness um, that's setting in, that's darker than we've seen in some time. And we were experiencing that in the suburbs. You know, I, I you talk to people, you look at all the stats and all that type of thing when they survey folks, and when it comes to financial stress, there's more financial stress right now in the suburbs than there's been in recent memory. The pace of life, you may have noticed, continues just to speed up. There's, got, there's people that are stealing our identities at alarming rates. Um, kids are shooting kids in schools, you know, in the suburbs. Um, religious liberties continue to get trampled in public discourse. And then ask any parent. There's those of us who are terrified um, at the changes that new technology are opening up in regard, regards to the dangers the new dangers that are out there. Well, that said, there's a whole lot of folks in the cities that would say, we would trade your suburban problems for ours in a heartbeat. You've got racial tensions that are tenser than they've ever been before. You've got poverty levels at all-time highs. You've got entire cities that are bankrupt. Entire cities are bankrupt. Kids being trafficked and crime and literacy and addiction and the breakdown of the family continue to be clear and present realities in our cities. And then there are those, if you zoom out more, in other countries in the world, they'd say, hey, American cities, we will take your problems and exchange them for ours any day of the week. You've got cartels that own cities like Juarez, Mexico. Elsewhere, thugs and warlords, they own entire regions. You've got reports now coming out of the Middle East, not only of beheadings, but of crucifixions of folks. You've got starvation. You've got preventable diseases. You have all of these things happening around the world where they said, hey, American cities, we would trade your problems for ours any day of the week. And so I look at the darkness like this, and isn't there something in you too that says, hey, hey, somebody should do something? It's just me? Or... How about the rest of you? Some of you other feel like that? Somebody should do something? I feel like that. Somebody should do something. Well, in the fullness of time, God sent his son. And here are the, his words as recorded by an eyewitness. We call it the book of John, chapter 9, verse 5. Jesus said these words. He said, while I'm in the world, I'm the what? What did he say? I'm the light. He said, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, Jesus was a visionary. Whether or not you believe that Jesus was the Son of God, you study this man, he was a visionary. And he not only saw a vision of what the world could be, he said, I believe that you can be the ones to do this, to live this out. I, I believe that you can be this. There's a place to write this in your notes. He says, be like light. With my spirit, 
with the guidance of my scriptures, you can be light. Well, today is part one of a four-part series. What we're going to do, we're going to explore this metaphor that Jesus gave us. We're going to dig into this thing. If you have your Bible with you, let's turn to the text that's going to not just serve us today, but this is the framework for all the the messages here that are going to follow in this series. This one's out of Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. I want to let you know, too, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free today. We got a copy or stacks of them. We keep on that table there, that table there. They're there for you. So I'd encourage you to take one. Now, this was an interesting journey. A lot of times I try to stay away from passages that seem really familiar to a lot of us. But then I remember they're, they're not familiar to everyone. And there's so much more here than I was taught in Sunday school of this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Uh, this is a passage that is so rich. It was so fun to dig into it at another level for me anyway. Here we go. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Let me uh, grab it in my own Bible here. It says this. These are the words of Jesus. You are the light of the world, he said. So again, he didn't just have a vision where he's the light. He knew he was the light, but he said this. I have a vision for our folks. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and then put it under a basket. You put it on a stand. It gives light to the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, if you're familiar with the scripture, this wasn't a new teaching by Jesus. He didn't just for the first time now in recorded history, he said this. You can find it in places like Isaiah in the Old Testament, Isaiah 42.6. This is what God had called his people to be, called them to be light. And this has been all along. Isaiah 42.6, this was written hundreds of years before Jesus stepped on the planet. I, the Lord, have called you. I will take hold of your hand, and I will make you a light for the Gentiles. So when Jesus said these things about, I'm going to make you a light, you're going to be like a city on a hill, he's invoking this. Part of what Jesus was doing when he said, you're a city on a hill, he's invoking a city on a hill, the city of Jerusalem, a city that literally sits on Mount Zion that represented the covenant people of God. So he's saying, you already know this people in one way, this is one level. You already know this people. You're the light of the world, the city on the hill. You know, Jerusalem, this is what you're supposed to be. But there's more to it than that. Take a look at where Jesus was when he said this. In fact, some of you might know, in fact, many of you already know this, um, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. Take a look at this, Matthew 5, 1. This is the setting as Jesus is talking about hills and he's talking about lights and he's talking about cities. He's literally on a mountain. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on a what? Mountain. So he's literally on a mountain when he says these things. And when he sat down, his disciples came to them. He then opened his mouth and taught them. So I hope you're catching all this. Jesus gathers his disciples on a mountain in Galilee. He uses language that invokes a city that's on a hill that serves as a metaphor for God's covenant people. And from that hill, and, and invoking that city on a hill, Jesus then instructs his followers. He says, you are to stand like a beacon. Be a beacon of hope for the world. This is rich. If you ever wonder why they call Jesus the master teacher, this is the type of thing why we're talking about his teachings. 2,000 years later, because he could do all of this. All right, back to Matthew 5.14. Here we go. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So should somebody do something about the darkness of the world? Yes. And with his disciples gathered around him on a hill in Galilee, here's the vision that Jesus cast. Here's the model that I'd like for us to look at and apply over the next several weeks. Shine brightly as individuals 
but also shine brightly together. It's not one or the other, it's both. Last week, our guest speaker hit the nail on the head when he said there are some things that individuals can do best, and there's some things that we can do better together. Mark was just echoing the words of Jesus that we find in Matthew 5. I came across some great quotes during my prep this week. This one refers to the uh, individual aspect of our faith and how we're to be a light on a, on, a, on a lampstand. It says this, the lamp metaphor takes for granted that the job description of the disciple, it's not fulfilled by private personal holiness. It includes the witness of public exposure. If you ever hear people say faith is just a private thing, it wasn't meant to be, at least not Christian faith. It's definitely real and personal, as real and personal as you get, but our faith isn't just something that we hide under a bushel. No, as the song goes, right? Got to let it shine. So that's the your individual part, okay? That's the individual part. But here's another great quote, and this one I put in your notes because this one, I read it a couple times, and each time I read it, I, I saw more richness to it. It's a rich quote. They're referring to Matthew 5, 13 uh, through 16. It says this, the address, this, this passage, it's written in the second person plural, meaning when Jesus says you, he's not just saying you you, you, he's saying y'all, right? You all. It's plural. It's not just individuals. He's not addressing us just as individuals. It's y'all. Y'all, he says, all right? There's, there's more than one person that's being addressed, but it's not just because that there's multiple people. It is because the corporate impact of the disciple community as an alternative society, that's what's in view here. The hilltop town of verse 14, it is a symbol not of just one individual who shines, but of the collective impact of the whole community. The quote goes on, modern Western individualism is such that we easily think of the light of the world as a variety of little candles shining. You're in your corner, I'm in mine. But it is the collective light of the whole community that draws the attention of the watching world. That's rich. That's why I put it in your, read that a couple times through. It, God's people are to shine brightly. We take our individual lights, we put them on a lampstand. And we're to shine like a city on a hill. We're to work together in such a way where we shine in a way that pierces the darkness like no single one of us can by ourselves. So that's what we're going to be pressing into over the next four weeks, if you count this one. This week, I want to just give you the model. And then next week, what we want to do is say, what does that look like right here in the Northeast? How do we do this well right here in the Northeast suburbs? And then in two weeks, I'm excited, we're going to fly up um, some of my friends from Amores, the new director and his wife, um, who are uh, directors of the children's home at Emmanuel Children's Home. So we're going to fly them up so you can have them talk about how do they shine brightly on a hill, literal hill in Juarez, Mexico. And then in our final week, the folks that did this, Ace in the City, how many of you were at the banquet yesterday? Look at all, way to go, way to support that. It's a great ministry, great ministry. Um, what we're going to do then is we're going to have Tim Anderson, the director of Ace in the City, he's going to share and say, okay, here's what it could look like in our largest city right here in Minnesota, our largest city, Minneapolis. Here's how we're trying to do this in the Powderhorn neighborhood. So it's going to be a, a great couple weeks. Well, let me get back to the model then. Here's the model that we're going to try to apply. Intrinsic to the model of shining brightly together is the concept of signs. Signs. You can't shine well together if, you, if we don't get this concept of signs. When Jesus came as the light of the world, he didn't just come to do good deeds. He came for more than that. Jesus' actions served as signs that pointed people to his Father. 
He was very clear about that. In fact, I don't think you can get much clearer than this. Matthew chapter 5, which we just read, verse 16 said this, in the same way, like a city on a hill and a lamp on a stand, let your light so shine before others that, that they may see those good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, if I did my homework right, this is the first time that Jesus refers to God as Father in Matthew's writings. And it's interesting to note, he, this is the first time he does it, five chapters, no message of God as Father. Then from this point on in this one Sermon on the Mount, at least 15 more times, rapid fire section, Father, 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 my Father, my Father, our Father, our Father. Right in this, this section, he just talks about his Father. And, and, and this is intentional. Everything Jesus does is intentional. When we work together to gather food for families right here in the Northeast, that's not the end game. When we work together to gather school supplies for folks in Minneapolis, that's not the end game. When we work together to put a roof over the children's home in Juarez, that's not the end game. Our ultimate aim, if we're going to follow the example of Jesus, is to connect people with our Father. Consider the words of Jesus. He didn't just say this here. In another testimony of Jesus' life, John chapter 6, verse 26, this is a different hill. This is a different crowd. And this time, more than 5,000 people are gathered around Jesus. They're hungry. And Jesus provides this miraculous sign. He feeds the multitude with five loaves, two fish. People were all about the nifty trick. People were all about the free meal. So when Jesus left, they followed. And they followed him, interestingly enough, to Capernaum, the site of this Sermon on the Mount. Well, the crowd comes to Jesus. They're hoping for more handouts, maybe see another cool trick, and look at what Jesus says. Jesus answers, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me, but you're not looking at me for the signs. You know, you, you're, you're here because you ate some bread and you had your fill. The Father sent the Son to do more than fill empty stomachs, as important as that is. Jesus himself, he was the bread of life, who was sent not to do his own will, but the will of the Father. The good works that Jesus did, the good news that Jesus brought, they were meant to be signs that pointed beyond that action itself, but pointed people to his Father. And in the same way, we're told in this text that we just read, that we are to let our light so shine for others so that. These are so that signs. They're not ends in themselves. You know, and I have to keep that in mind because every week, every week, I've got people asking me for money as an individual and then asking me for money, asking we then for money every week. You know, and what they think they want is a full stomach or a full tank of gas or to have their bills paid in full. In almost every case, almost every time, there is a deeper hunger. There is a greater need. And there's a bigger debt that won't be filled if we simply give a hand out and we don't offer a hand up. I mean, it's a lot like this. I was thinking on Halloween again. It's sim similar to the challenge that if, if you're a parent, if you've ever had a small kid, um, it's the challenge that we face if you're going to send your kids out on Halloween, right? Not that, not that in this metaphor we're the parents I and mean, we're the kids. I'll get to that later. But how many of you have ever had small kids? 
All right? Imagine if you took your small kids and said, okay, it's Halloween, go. Let your heart guide you. You know, do what you think is best. And we turned them loose in the darkness. Can you imagine how much trouble they'd get into if we didn't set any boundaries? Hey, kids, it's dark. It's Halloween. You go for it. You do what you think is best for you. Man, I got in trouble with boundaries, right? You can get into a whole lot of trouble when it's like that. Left on our own, we, we're not the parents. Okay, we've got it all figured out, and people who aren't Christians don't have it figured out. That's not my metaphor. We are like the kids. All of us are like the kids, especially in a world that's this this dark. We need help to navigate this world. And we may not understand why our father sometimes says, you need this flashlight. You need this light unto your feet. You need my word. We may not understand that. And there's times where we might not understand, why can't I go it alone? Why do I have to go to the group? Why did you call us to be a part of a church? You know, why? why? Come on. Why can't I just go my own way? And there's times where the father says, avoid this situation. Don't walk with these people. Don't go to this place. And there's times where we may not understand that. There's times where our father says, hey, what you want to wear isn't appropriate. And we say, why? And there's times where he says, don't indulge your appetite the way you think you should. Jesus came to shine light to lead us through this darkness to this destination. This hit me when I was doing a search on the word light. I came across this passage, a revelation of the end of time. If we can take a look at this one, the map, let's go to Revelation 21, 23. This one, this was revealed to a man named John of of a day where there'll be a city that does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God himself will give it light and the lamb will be its lamp. That's the destination he wants to bring us to. Well, we've got this present darkness that we live in. And there are times with these people, they're chasing after affection that is only going to satisfy them for a season. So how do we then point them to a love that lasts eternally? And there's those who equate love with permissiveness. How do we help them understand that one of the greatest acts of love that you can offer is to tell someone the truth? And there are those who ascribe to the belief that it's the pursuit of happiness that, that, in, that necessitates that you put yourself at the center. And how do we tell folks that believe that, hey, you are going to find life when you give yours away? There are those who ascribe to the belief that truth is validated or derived through experience. You know, how do we, through our actions, inspire them to take a step of faith? In this present darkness, certainly in the West, the existence of God and the existence of evil are considered incompatible instead of at odds. That's a big deal. Grace is no longer considered amazing because people feel entitled to get what they want. Deep reflection has been replaced by slogans and sound bites. Hyper-consumerism has enslaved us to our possessions. And then this one hit me. Hyper-individualism has made the notion of a United States oxymoronic. What if? What if people who are walking in towns and in villages and in the suburbs and in the cities all around the world could see a great light? What if they could see a people who lived 
differently? What if among us as Christians, what if among us every marriage was growing stronger instead of more stressed? What if, how might that serve as a sign that, we've, that we, the church, are the bride of Christ? What if among us, this is one that we don't talk about much, what if among us singleness was held in high esteem? What if among us it wasn't, hey, let's get you married. What if among us it was we held singleness in high esteem? How might that serve as a sign that we value our devotion to Christ above all other relationships? What if among us every member was one day closer to becoming debt-free? What if every one of us was taking steps in that direction? What, well, how might that be a sign to others that we believe it's for freedom that we've been set free? What if among us, porn consumption was zero? What if among God's people, porn consumption was zero? How might that serve as a sign that we believe every person ever created bears the image of God? They're not an object. They bear the image of God. What if among us, teens set an example for the believers in their speech, in their conduct, in their faith, and in their purity? How might that serve as a sign that the Spirit is poured out on all ages, not just us old people? And what if among us, tithing, this was just like the baseline, that we said, God, everything I have is yours. And of course, the first goes to you and the best. What if we shine brightly like, these, like this together? What if? You know? Well, one of the things that I know to be true is that not everyone in the world is going to say, oh, I'll drink the Kool-Aid. Jesus himself is an example of that. Jesus himself foreshadowed that. Look what he says almost right before the, the words that we read. This is only like there's a little section we'll look at next week that's between it. Here's what he says, Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 through 12. Jesus kind of cast a shadow before he gave that imagery of light. He said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of things that are evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus doesn't promise. You step into the light, everything's going to go great. In fact, he says the opposite. And he's not the only one in the scriptures that says this. Ours is a dark world. I look at the example of Christians in Syria. I get a newsletter from a group called The Voice of the Martyrs. And here's just one example um, of one family. Uh, this woman, she's a Christian. Her family are Christians in Syria. And she said, you know what? We're going to have to have a conversation with our kids. Imagine having this conversation with your kids. Her and her husband decided they've got to talk to their children. And they said, because we're Christians, men with beards might someday come in. They might force their way into our home and demand that we convert to Islam. They said, don't deny Christ. They told them they might feel some pain, see blood, and then be in the presence of Jesus. After that conversation, radicals broke into their apartment while they were away. And there's a picture of a, of a message that they put on the mirror, we came to slaughter you. And then throughout this newsletter and the other newsletters, there's examples of families who were home when those people broke in. And people literally, guns to their head, who took bullets for the faith. So 
Will sometimes this light mean shining to people who don't step into the light with us? Yep, it will. And it's interesting, you, you talk to some of these folks, and I've, I've, I hear some of the stories, and, and they're, they're almost incredulous, some of them, when we say, wow, I can't believe you, you do that. And they look at you like, well, the day I became a Christian, I died. I died. And now I live for Christ. I'm just waiting for my resurrection. Man, what if all of us were more like that? What if... All disciples of Jesus were literally willing to lay down their lives for what we say we believe in. If we did, we'd be following in the footsteps of Jesus. Isn't that the example he set? When he literally, the light of the world, walked up a hill and allowed himself to be nailed to a Roman cross for the whole world to see the full extent of God's love. And the same light, here's the last thing I'd encourage you to write down. The last, the same light that pierced the darkness from a hilltop just outside of Jerusalem, it is available to all who place their faith in Jesus of Nazareth. Here's the good news. The good news is not, hey, let's all suck it up, follow Jesus, grit our teeth, and do it. The good news is that God wants to fill us and change us from within. He uses the language of born again. Here's a passage, John chapter 3. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus when? At night, under darkness. That's intentional. He comes to Jesus at night and he says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who has come from God, for no one else could perform the what? Signs. Nicodemus got it. He said, you're not just a do-gooder. You're not just another one with helpful advice. You're the one. You did the signs. And Jesus answered this man. He said, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. For God so loved the world, he gave his one only son, that whoever believes in him is not going to perish but have everlasting life. And then Jesus goes on to give an example of how does one become a Christian. In this case, he says this, John 3, 19 through 21, light has come into the world. Some people love darkness instead of light. But whoever lives by the truth does what? Comes into the light. As cliche as this sounds, what's one way to become a Christian? Come into the light. Before we continue with the rest of the service, I want to pause right now, and I want to give you that invitation. Let's, let's pray. Father, um, thank you for loving us enough to tell us the truth to tell us about the destiny that awaits all of us. Lord, we pray right now that all of the ways that the world has worked so hard to turn this into a cliche would all fade into darkness and that you would shine bright right now. Holy Spirit, do that. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would help us to see reality. Help us to recognize that there is no darkness that's too dark for you but that you see all and you know all. So, Lord, in light of that, may we come into the light. May we come before you and say, God, you've seen everything I've ever done. You've seen the good, you've seen the bad, you've seen the ugly. I lay it all before you, and I ask, God, that I could be born again, that I could have a fresh start. Thank you for showing the full depth of your power and your love as you nailed, were nailed to that cross, and then you rose again. 
Lord, I pray now that you would, you would help our, us to take that step of faith and to trust you that we may leave the past in the past and that we may be filled with your spirit. Lord, we pray that we really would be born again. As Again, as the world has worked so hard to turn that into a cliche, as the world has worked so hard to mock that, as people have set such horrible examples for us, Lord, we pray right now you'd help us to see the richness of the, that, that imagery that you gave us and you would, you would help us, God, to take that step and to say, Lord, could we be born again right now? Give us a new mind one that thinks your thoughts. Give us a new heart, one that, that is passionate about the things you're passionate about. Fill us with your spirit, the spirit of Christ, that we may have the power to do the things you've called us to do. And Lord, may we now, as forgiven people, as free people, as people who look to you, may we now serve as lights for this dark world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I would invite you also to seal this time with something that we call Holy Communion. Some traditions call it the Eucharist. Some traditions call it the Lord's Table. It's, it's uh, the same, same sacrament. What we do when we commemorate this event together, we have a little bit about it in the back of your bulletin, but we, we commemorate this event, and it's recorded here in 1 Corinthians 11. We commemorate the event, this, this thing that happened to Jesus right before the eve of his crucifixion are on the eve of his crucifixion. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, the very night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And if we were to continue reading in this passage, the Bible would say how this is not something you just take lightly. You don't just do this because the other people in the room are doing it. This is something that the Bible even says, examine yourselves before you take this uh, sacrament. So we want to provide you that opportunity today. You don't have to be a member of our church to participate in what we're about to do, but if, um, if you can sincerely pray these prayers that we're going to pray together, we wouldn't just invite you to come forward. We would welcome you to come forward with us. So we'll pray prayers together in a church, as a church family to prepare ourselves together. And then what we'll do is we'll provide a little instrumental where you can then personalize this, make it real. Take now this as an individual and say, what, God, what does this look like in my life? We'll sing a song together. And then on the second song, we'll have people get in place to serve communion at that table over there and at that table over there. When you see them in place, we'd invite you at any time then to, to, to come up and come forward. Instead of having ushers to say, now it's your time, now it's your time, now it's your time, we'd rather have the Holy Spirit say, now is your time, and for you to say, okay, and respond that way. So just come forward. It would be easier if you could come forward down the center. It just helps with the flow a little bit, but get forward, and uh, it'll all be good. Then we'll, uh, we'll sing some songs together and close. So let's prepare our hearts and minds as, uh, as we prepare for this time. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, to whom all hearts and minds are open and all desires are known, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit that we may more perfectly love you and more worthily magnify your holy name. We confess that we are sinners and cannot save ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole hearts. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us. 
that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. We are not worthy for these gifts which we are about to receive, but say the word and we will be made clean. God, we take now this time and we consecrate it. We ask that you would make it holy. Lord, we pray that you'd make our thoughts holy, that you would fill us with things that you would have us to do, things that you would have us to lay down, not what guilt would have us to lay down, not what, what some parenting told us to lay down that wasn't of you, but rather things that you would have us lay down. And Lord, we, we pray that you'd show us what to take up, you know, what it means for us to, to take up our cross and follow you right now in this season of our life. Father, may we, with courage, step forward in faith saying, I'll take up that cross. Holy Spirit, fill me with strength. Lord, thank you that you are, have given us this opportunity to respond to you. And we pray that we'd make full use out of it. Take these, these elements here, make them for us, your body and blood, to strengthen us and to sustain us for whatever lies ahead. And Lord, now as, as another act together, we pray a prayer that has been handed down to us, a prayer that you, prayer that you brought, taught your first disciples to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I love communion. This isn't the word part yet, but, but this sets it up. I, I love communion, and one of the reasons I love it is because um, I know how messed up my life is, and I know how messed up a lot of your lives are. And this is a time where we get to come before a God. And here's the word from God. I know how messed up your life is too. And God is the Father that the best earthly fathers are like on their best days. And this Father says, I forgive you. I believe in you. I, I forgive you. I believe in you. Let's try that again. We've got, got that for one of you or, or several of you. Let's try that again. I forgive you. I believe in you. Let's try that again. Let's pray. Father, we pray that whoever that was for would take you up on that. Let's try that again. And Lord, for all of us, we pray that uh, we could go forth from this place shining, boy, more than just a little brighter as we allow you to live in and through us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great, uh, great week.